Thank you for joining my podcast today. I am the host, Mia Nanokawa. Today, I am joined by two unique guests. My name is Sean Renzo Head, and I am a professional musician, and I specialize in Japanese traditional music playing the shakuhachi, or the bamboo flute. Yes, name is Thomas Piercy. I live in New York and in Tokyo, and I play the clarinet and the hichiriki, which is a traditional Japanese、uh, wind instrument. So, neither of you look very Japanese, but you both play very traditional Japanese instruments. How do people react to you when they hear and see you play those traditional Japanese instruments?、Um, I think a lot of people are、uh, very, very surprised in, in general when they, when they hear. Sometimes you do get negative responses, but、um, almost, I would probably say, 999 times out of 1,000, it's a very positive. In Japan,、um, they're, they're very surprised to see, a, a, to see a Westerner play Hichiriki. Afterwards, always are just thrilled、uh, that someone,、um, and I assume it, you know, someone, a Western person, I usually get a lot of questions like, how did you learn it? How long and why? Thank you, Mr. Piercy. Mr. Head, what are some things that you think about when you're composing music that blends Western and Japanese cultures together, or when you have someone else compose music in that style? What are some things that you request or think about in order to keep the integrity of Japanese musical style? That's one thing I, I do, I always request from composers is that I, I really want the instrument to sound like shakuhachi. It's, it's very, I hear lots of performances of shakuhachi music where it, it just kind of sounds like a little bit more of a woody Western flute.、Um, and so there's a lot of those traditional elements have been completely taken out.、Um, so I, I really push on the composers and in not a aggressive way, but in like a, this sounds really cool. <laughs> and this sounds really cool too. Why don't you try to incorporate that into your piece of music as well?、Um, and most composers are really excited and happy to, to do something like that. They really do want to add in those effects because they're quite, they are quite、uh, unique. But with those sounds as well, you know, this happens a lot with,、um, with other instruments too, like the bassoon. Once people hear like that helicopter effect, everybody wants to use it. And then they're like, but then they're just using it to use it rather than using it to make it make sense in the piece of music. So it is a very hard balance to create. But when it's done right, and when I, I do try to get the composers to add that in, but when it's done right, it's beautiful. Thank you, Mr. Head. Mr. Piercy, how do you work with composers in order to keep the integrity of traditional Japanese style in your contemporary compositions? Working with the composers,、um, they would be asking me, Oh, can the Hichiriki do this? Can it do that? Can it do multiphonics? Can it do flutter tonguing? And so, because they have wanted to add techniques that things they wanted here, it has actually improved or extended. My technique on the instrument. So, things that weren't normally done on the Hichiriki before, now I've started adding them into this piece. So, it's nice that the modern composers are bringing the Hichiriki into the contemporary world. 
Yeah, awesome. You know, you obviously just mentioned it just now, but I also read on your website that it's really important to you to expand the repertoire of the Chiriki or especially yes. the contemporary repertoires. Do you think you could talk a little bit more about your philosophy on that? That world of Gagaku and the temple music, which has been around for many, many hundreds of years. Gagaku, G-A-G-A-K-U, is a Japanese classical music and dance that was used in the Japanese imperial court. And it is very solidified. It doesn't change, which I think is great. Um, I still take Hichiriki lessons in Japan, and most of our lesson is gagaku, because I feel as a Hichiriki player, it's important that I not just understand that music and that sound and that style, but that I'm able to play it, that that is the foundation of my instrument. And so then, so I have this foundation, then I can branch off from it. And so there are no new gagaku pieces. I mean, they that is set. And so I feel that we have these many, many traditional pieces and very few contemporary pieces. And so I have this great instrument, which has a great sound, which I love. And so it's like, oh, then let's, let's write more pieces for it. So the instrument doesn't get lost. I, I feel, and some of my Hichiriki playing friends in Japan who play gagaku, they're afraid that if, <clears throat> People aren't going out to not just talk about these instruments, but to actually play them, whether it's gagaku or it's contemporary music. These instruments have the possibility that they will get lost or will become only heard in such special occasions. And I feel it's such a great instrument that it's like, no, let's, I want everyone to hear it um, and to see it. So it's a, I feel these pieces, it is a living tradition. It's not just, um, there is this, oh, where is it? Ah, the, you know, this is the Gagaku book with all, all the many, many, many hundreds of pieces. And that is here. And so I want a book, um, abstract in the, of new pieces. So, the instrument can keep living and changing without changing anything about the traditional, the, the gagaku. Um, the two can coexist, I find. So it's nice that the new music can be a living and growing uh, testament founded on the traditional. I love Mr. Piercy's idea of music being a living art form that needs to be continually performed and that contemporary style must be built upon the tradition. Now, let's dive into the meat of the discussion today. What does being culturally appropriate mean to you in terms of performing music from other cultures? What are your thoughts on this, Mr. Hand? Well, I... So I, I like the word I like the word culture a lot because the word culture actually comes from the word cultivate and cultivation, and so I think of of music as a garden, 
And um, you know, you have your cabbages, you have your tomatoes, you have your all, all the all the food that you need. But if you don't take care of that, all the food will go to waste and it won't grow properly. Um, it could it, it could just not grow. A lot of plants can die. Um, it does need tending to. So that's the first part of that of that thing with that culture. And so it becomes a little bit of a confusing thing for me because you're appropriating to take care of something. And so to me, I don't really understand. I don't really understand the word or the phrase cultural appropriation in general. Um, I know what people what people say, but it just the meaning doesn't make sense to what the words are. Historically speaking, um, Japan is like the greatest borrower or the greatest appropriator, if you would say. Um, language, um, lots of um, culture, religion, um, and as well as um, like horseback riding culture, clay pots, and all these things. Are these are all brought in from other countries and then Jap Japanified? And, and it's not just with this too. China has borrowed from India. African countries borrow from each other. Europeans, of course, have been borrowing from each other and outside countries for generations and generations. And so it's actually a part of our culture to share and to um, you know say what we what we think is cool. That's interesting. I think when people say that they have issue with cultural appropriation, is I guess what I hear a lot is in terms of the respect and perhaps like taking over the other cultures. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, that was actually a big thing in um, the 50s and 60s and 70s with um, with Asian string players. They um, they got once once mainly the Cultural Revolution in China fell a lot of really, well, actually even before that though, um, there was a lot of really great string players, wonderful string players, and they would come to America and they would outplay a lot of people. And they would say that the Asian community doesn't actually know what they're playing, they just know how to play it. And so they, that was part of that cultural appropriation sort of thing, like they're, they don't understand the European music because they're not European. And I, so I think that that also ha is happening now just in the reverse. Um, it's it's hard to say, you know, that hap that's happened a lot with, you know, um, with blues, jazz, and other genres of music. It's not just exclusive to world musics at all. Um, so it's a very big, I, I understand part of the, the feelings behind it, but, you know, in the end, we're, we're all human. You know, we, we all bleed the same, you know, we, we might speak different languages or have different practices, but Japanese in a way are culturally appropriating Western culture a lot. They they wear Western clothes, they have Western, they wear Western suits, they do have Western car, like car ideas and mechanics, um, you know, all of these ideas are, are a lot of Western ideas. So um, not that those are necessarily artistically related, but it's still the idea of culturally sharing back and forth. So why do you think people see issues with that cultural sharing? You know, it's I, I think that at this point, Western Western classical music has trans transcended its identity. It's no longer just Eurocentric. You know, we can say German composers, but you know, Japanese play Beethoven just as well as anybody else. The Japanese music, you know, still has we don't we don't call it German classical music anymore. We just say classical music. You know, we don't when we're talking about Mozart. In this case, when I even I just said it, I said Japanese classical music. I say Japanese and giving it that identity. 
And so we always say with uh, when I'm introducing the shakuhachi, I always say Japanese bamboo flute. So it still has that strong cultural identity linked to it. Um, so I think that that is a really big part of it um, as well. But it's not, this is not like the first time it's ever happened. This is not a new thing um, at all. And I'm sure that at, even at, um, in Mozart's time, borrowing from the Turkish um, culture um, and, and a lot of Europeans um, at that time, especially people living in um, Germany and Vienna uh, or uh, in Austria-Hungary, wearing Turkish clothes and Turkish wigs and drinking Turkish coffee. I think a lot of, there probably was a lot of people who thought that this is this is uh, terrible. This is culturally appropriating of, the, of from the Turks. Uh, I, I could imagine seeing the same culture. I, I could see that conversation happening, um, you know, 300 years ago as well. So you think this, you know, hyper awareness of being culturally appropriate will pass? Well, I think we all have the hope that it would, you know, that it, I don't want to say that, you know, that I'm right, they're wrong, or, you know, that anybody is wrong. And I think we all just have different opinions. Opinions aren't, aren't necessarily right or wrong. They just, they just are what they are. They just exist. And, uh, you know, to take more of like a, a Buddhist kind of perspective on it. It's like we we created that word culture and we created that word appropriation and that's just what they are. You know, we we actually give things meaning when we say it. Like we, when we say, if I say a word, like for example, the word tree, you might think of an oak tree, but I'm thinking of a willow. And that's very, very different. And you know, so sometimes when when you, when you might hear might hear the word cultural appropriation, you might see it as a positive thing, and another person when they hear that hear it as two negative words. There's another term that people use often: cultural appreciation. Yeah. Versus cultural appropriation. Do you see any difference in those? N um, no, not not really. Um, I I could I guess where I would see it is. Uh, the appreciation is one who respects it but does not do it. Mm -hmm. And appropriation is the one who does it. Um, and I think that a lot of this really started, I, I remember hearing about this when it first came out, like in 2015. Uh, and I think it was about a um, Halloween incident, people using um, you know, other people's cultures in a disrespectful manner. And that to me is not cultural appropriation. That's just you know, being an a-hole. So I mean, <laughs> it's there's there's a complete difference for that you know this is my my livelihood it's my my career and my passion it's what i i do my best to i try my best to get as much research and much accurate things as i can i mean i practice daily um you know making contacts to learn more it's it's much more different it's and it's like it's like almost like a it's like a driving force that gives me reason to you know wake up in the morning and live my life my thoughts could be expressed in just a few words um, um, or, or a lot. I, it bothers me when I see people who are not involved in what a certain artist is doing. <clears throat> if, <clears throat> if someone is, you know, if singer so-and-so is called out saying, oh, she's culturally appropriating whatever, whether it's Japanese, um, Korean, Chinese, African, whatever. Um, usually, we don't necessarily know what was behind the creation of what that artist is doing. 
Um, I mean, it's different if you see someone coming up, you know, maybe coming out on stage to sing a pop song dressed as a geisha, which not isn't necessarily so bad, but if they like have chopsticks in their hair. And so those that to me is not necessarily cultural appropriation, but um, cultural inappropriate. Um, or like if you had someone on there using the chopsticks as if, you know, where Japan, we would know that uh, that's what they do at a funeral. Um, so those, you know, if you're making sort of like cultural faux pas because you don't know, I think if you were going to uh, use something very specific from another culture, uh, I mean, if it's something minor and it's just an influence like Ravel, he heard jazz and started writing some pieces that had jazz sounds in it. Well, the way people use the word cultural appropriation now, he would be accused of that. I think it's just, he's an artist, he heard it, he loved the sound, it influenced his music. Uh, the same with Debussy um, for one of his violin sonatas, the movement, it's a blues movement because he heard this. Now he would be accused if people wanted to of cultural appropriation. No, he hurt. So I feel with, especially with music, it's things we hear and you, you like that sound. And it's like some of my contemporary clarinet pieces, they can be West, totally abstract 12 tone Western pieces but because I've played the shakuhachi and I play the hichiriki, I'll add some of these, which are obvious, if you know those instruments, some of those techniques. That is, by definition, I am appropriating those techniques into a Western piece. I consider it appreciation. Um, I Again, you need to know what's behind that artist, why they did what they did. Um, are they culturally informed or were they looking through a magazine, it's, you know, especially pop music? Maybe they're looking through a magazine and they saw, oh, my God, look at that beautiful dress. Well, it could be a kimono or a traditional Chinese dress. Well, it's still beautiful. And a pop singer, maybe, oh, I want to wear that. And it looks good. It feels good. And but maybe they should take a few minutes to think, oh, am I wearing it correctly? Um, am I doing something wrong? Is there perhaps a color? You know, is one color for life? Is one color for death? Just so you're a little culturally informed. But I feel that with people calling people out for what they call cultural, I think it can put a door in front of people to discover the other cultures and to share and to appreciate it. Um, there are times when in Japan, I will wear the full kimono and hakama and everything for a concert. Uh, and no one has ever to my face or you know, from what I've heard, thought it was bad or you know, I'm a Westerner and I'm wearing this. Um, and then I found that, and especially after the first time I did it, 
it is actually more comfortable than wearing a suit. So it's just comfortable. It feels good. And many people come up and it's a little funny because they're not complimenting me on my playing. They're going, oh, you look so good. And they they see it as a that I'm honoring it. Not that I'm complimenting them, but I am honoring where I am and what I'm doing. Uh, when I've worn it here in the States, I don't wear it as much. Um, but even, even then are people more talk about how I looked instead of how I played. Um, and it depends that, I mean, it's always when I never, if it's just clarinet concert, I'm not gonna go out in a full kimono, but there's times where I'm playing clarinet and hichiriki. And as you might know, it takes a little while to put it on. So I'll wear it for the whole concert. And yeah, sometimes it might look a little strange. I'm playing clarinet. But if you see the context of it, that I was playing hichiriki. And again, I've never heard anyone uh, say anything. I mean, they may, and I don't know about it. Uh, and so that may also be that it's Japanese. I have found that Japanese don't think of it so much as cultural appropriation, but as appreciation. I've heard other cultures who maybe feel a little bit more um, insulted by other people bringing, you know, taking their culture and using it. So I don't know. Thank you, Mr. Sean Renzo Head and Thomas Piercy for the time they took to talk to us today and share their thoughts. Whether you agree with them in their opinions or not, I hope this was somewhat insightful and interesting at least. 